We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple and pray the following message speaks to your heart. Last week, uh, we were begun to cover, I trust you all have your notes there. Anyone read, uh, need notes? The outline? Raise your hand so we can give you one. The outline for Hebrews chapter 6. Anybody like that? Okay, I guess everybody has one. All right. We were talking about the spiritual privileges that these people, the spiritual experiences that these Hebrew believers had, and uh, we saw that proving, you know, the, it proves the fact that they were saved, and um, we, we said that in verse 6, which is the verse that some people use there to teach the loss of salvation, the word there uh, that says, if they, shall, if, if they fall away, uh, that's an unfortunate translation because the Greek word uh, does not mean necessarily to fall away rather to fall in one's way or it, it is to fall in one's way to, fi- to fall alongside or to fall away from adherence to the realities and facts of the faith and it's only found here in the New Testament nowhere else okay if, if these believers were to fall it would be impossible to renew them again to repentance now, we said that there were two reasons that are given for this impossibility. Why is it that when somebody trips and falls alongside the road, because that's really what it means, okay, it means to misstep. It doesn't mean to slide away, okay? Uh, somebody who falls away from the faith, uh, the, the Greek word is apostasia, which is apostasy, you know, going far from God. This is not talking about that. It's talking about tripping and falling right there where you are. If somebody does that, uh, they cannot be again renewed to repentance. And we said there were two reasons for this impossibility. First, because it would mean to crucify again for themselves the Son of God. So it is impossible for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back and be crucified all over again. That will not happen. He is coming back to be sure but not to be re-crucified. And secondly, we said because it would mean to put him into an open shame. Re-crucifixion would put the Son of God to an open shame, and thus it is impossible for them to do such a thing. Now, what these Hebrew believers needed to understand, we said, was that they could not fall away from, from faith in the Messiah and go back to Judaism until persecution passed and then be saved all over again. That doesn't happen, okay? This was not an option as they thought, uh, for there is no new salvation that would erase their falling away, even if it was temporary, okay? When we got saved, we were born again, and we were born again only once. You don't get born again and get unborn again and then get born again again. That's what he's saying, Okay? So, this will require a re-crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, which is a total, as we said, impossibility. 
uh, it would mean also that the sacrifice of Jesus was not enough to provide salvation in the first place. And that would be contradicting what we are told in the next chapter, chapter 7 of Hebrews, in verse 25, where we are told that, therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost. What does uttermost mean? It means totally, completely, to the nth degree, to the end. Okay? To the uttermost, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So if uh, you fell away, you know, hypothetically speaking, you would put to shame the Lord Jesus Christ. In order for you to get saved all over again, he would have to be re-crucified, which is not going to happen. And secondly, you put him to shame, because you're, what you're saying is that his sacrifice was not sufficient. And that contradicts the scriptures. There is no such thing. Okay? So in view of this, they only had two options. Either to press on to maturity. Okay? Either you press on to maturity, growing uh, in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or return to Judaism. Now, when you're born physically, after you're born, can you be unborn? Ridiculous. That's why the Lord uses that, you know, uh, illustration. The only option you have after you've been born is to grow. Either that or you die. Physically, that is. So spiritually, it's the same way. You're born again, and all you can do from there, to, from that point on, is grow Spiritually, like it says in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay? So, the writer has been encouraging them to do the first thing, which is to grow. Don't go back to rabbinical Judaism. And that will continue to do later on in the book. Now, the second option, this is where we left off last week, which is the returning to Judaism would not mean a loss of salvation. Once you're saved, are you always saved? Yes, no, maybe? Yes. Now, if you're saved and you're coming to this church, and all of a sudden you just walk away, and you start going back, let's say, to the Catholic church, or maybe you came from the Methodist church, or maybe you came from a Pentecostal church, or maybe you came from another kind of church, like me, Greek Orthodox. If you went to that church, would that mean that you lost your salvation? No, ridiculous. Okay? Once you're saved, you're always saved. All right? Now, if you are a true Christian, a true believer, you're not going to feel comfortable going back to that kind of a ritualistic, traditional, high church, you know, right-oriented church. Because there's no teaching and preaching of the Word of God. <clears throat> and don't they are think that all Bible or Protestant or evangelical churches nowadays are preaching the gospel or teaching the Bible. Okay? Unfortunately, they don't. Many of them. Some, many of them do, but many of them don't. So don't go by, by labels on the outside. Okay? <clears throat> you have to check very well where you go. It would not mean the loss of salvation if they went back to Judaism. What would it mean then? 
it would mean physical death. Why? God would kill them on the spot? No. It would mean physical death because they would be placing themselves under the judgment that was about to fall on the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel in 70 AD. Remember, the book of Hebrews was written two or three years before the destruction of the temple. And the Jewish nation, unfortunately, rejected the Messiah, which, by the way, it was also predicted. Yes? Right? Yeah, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, and other portions of Scripture. Okay? And because of their rejection, judgment was about to fall on them. Like God warned them. God has been warning them since the time of Moses. They read the Torah. They read the law. They read the book of Deuteronomy. Well, that's where it's warned for the first, they are warned for the first time. If you do not listen to the prophet I shall raise from among you, meaning the Messiah, you shall be scattered throughout all the nations. And you can read that, chapter 18, and you can also read chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. You think you're reading the news from Nazi Germany. Okay, God doesn't fool around. Let me tell you, God, it's a serious thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And uh, it was about this judgment that befell the nation on 70, the year 70 AD, was about to fall the nation for their unbelief, for their unpardonable sin. How many of you have been afraid in the past of committing the unpardonable sin? You know, oh, I committed the unpardonable sin. You can't. Once you're saved, you can't. Because the unpardonable sin means attributing to the devil the work of God. Okay? They call the Lord Jesus Beelzebub. That's the unpardonable sin. Okay? Rejecting the Messiah. And identifying with those. If these people fell away back to Judaism, they would be uh, identifying with those who rejected the Messiah and not with the Messiah himself. And this is why they needed to press on. It is impossible to go back to an unsaved state. And also, going back to Judaism would place them in a state of immaturity and will not be able to press on to maturity. If you go to a church that doesn't teach the Bible, are you going to grow spiritually? No. And that's why you got so many people today that know, they don't know beans about the Bible. They call themselves Christians, and they don't even know John 3.16. Why? Because they are not being taught. Okay? So, going back to Judaism would place them in a state of immaturity. Now, they had already wasted years in their immaturity. Going back would continue to make them unfruitful, like he told them in chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Let's refresh our memory. Go back to chapter 5 for one second, to the, almost the end of the chapter, verse 11, where he's exhorting them. This is where the parenthesis begins, by the way, which goes all the way to the end of chapter 6. All right? Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Which rest? The rest in the Messiah, right? Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Like who? Like their fathers in the desert. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit 
and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him. I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong chapter, am I not? Why don't you tell me? I'm reading chapter 4. In verse 11, he says, chapter 5, verse 11 says, Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. He had just begun to talk about Jesus Christ as the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, and he stops. He stops and he says what? I can't go on because you can't receive it. Why? Because you're dull of hearing. What does it mean, dull of hearing? When you're dull of hearing, it means you cannot understand what is being said. I have had people in the church that while I'm preaching, they're dozing off. They're like, do me a favor, have a cup of coffee before you come to church. And those are the very people that when, stri when tragedy strikes, don't know what to do. Like somebody told me not too long ago, I said, read the book of Psalms. You're going through trials, read the book of Psalms. I don't understand the book of Psalms. How can you not understand the book of Psalms? It has 150 Psalms. They're all different. Maybe with the exception of two. How can, how can you come to me after so many years of coming to church to just unveil this wonderful reality that you do not understand the book of Psalms or any other book of the Bible? If you don't understand something, I have a, a solution for you. It's very simple. It's a three letter word if you don't understand something ask it is no shame not to know the shame comes in not wanting to know or pride lest Pastor Alex think I don't know anything I already know that Okay? You'll be surprised how much I know about you. I have a direct line connecting me to heaven. I know a lot of things about you. I'm only kidding. But you know what? After you've been, been dealing with people and treating people for a number of years, you know them. I mean, you might not know everything about them, but you know enough. And there's, there's no such thing as the perfect member, the perfect couple the perfect Christian, the perfect this, and the perfect that. Perfect, only the Lord. Okay? So here the writer is telling them, they become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, and this is what a lot of some of us here in this church, we need to learn to be teachers. And I might start using some of you. Now don't run. Because I know where you live. Come and get you. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have to need milk, uh, you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes <clears throat> only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age those who by reason of use 
have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You know why people many times cannot discern good, good from evil? It's because they don't know what God says. Their, their, their senses are not exercised. It's not only knowledge that we're talking here about. We're talking about wisdom, applied knowledge. Amen? Practical knowledge of the word of God. So, they have already wasted many years in their immaturity. Going back and would continue to make them, uh, going back would continue to make them unfruitful as the following verses point out. So go back to now to chapter 6 and go back to verse 6. And uh, I'm sorry, verse 7, 7 and 8, it says, For the earth which drinks in the rain and often comes upon it, that often comes upon it and, and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Okay? The teaching here is that the actions of believers produce either blessing or cursing, depending on whether the actions are based on obedience or disobedience. So here, like their forefathers in Kadesh Barnea, do you know what Kadesh Barnea is? Does anybody know what Kadesh Barnea is? Nobody knows? Yes. The Negev. And what happened in Kadesh Barnea? They rejected the spies, the, the spies report. Remember Moses sent 12 spies into the land? That happened at Kadesh Barnea. That's on the border before they entered the land. And 12 spies went in, and 10 came back giving a negative report, and 2 came back giving a positive report, saying, no, we can take the land. One was Joshua. The other, one, the other one was Caleb. So they voted, and the Democratic Party won. And what did they have for the next 40 years? What we're having here today? Trouble. And don't think we're not going to have it. And I don't want to get started on that. See me after the service. I'll tell you everything about it. Like their forefathers at Kadesh Barnea, these believers were in danger of making an irrevocable decision after which it would be impossible to change their minds again. Okay? Their forefathers said, no, we can't enter. The, the, the land is filled with giants. So they chose not to enter. And what happened? From then on, a, 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 a journey that would have taken three weeks at the most took 40 years. A whole generation wasted. What happened to them? They died in the desert, both believers and unbelievers, including Miriam and Aaron and Moses. Tragedy, because they did not trust God. And I'm not talking about Moses. What I'm saying is that because of the majority who were wrong and voted against it, Everybody paid the price. And the righteous many times suffer with the unrighteous because of the bad decisions the unrighteous make. All right, so here the four, their forefathers 
fell in the wilderness because of their bad decision and missed the blessing of the promised land. Did the generation that, that, that came out of Egypt, did they enjoy the promised land? No, they never saw it. They never entered it. They chose not to, so they missed the blessings. When you make a bad decision as a Christian, you miss the blessing. And who suffers? You suffer. Your family suffers. Those around you, your friends, suffer. Nobody sins alone. Remember that. Okay? So, a spiritual retrogression such as this would be similar to that of their fathers. They had seen the pillar of fire and the cloud over the tabernacle. Look at verse, what it says here. In, in verse, um, chapter 6, verse 7. No, let's go back to verse 4. It is impossible for those who were once, what? Enlightened. All right, what is he talking about here? Enlightened means you came to the knowledge of the truth. Now, how did God enlighten the people of Israel in the, in the desert? Before they entered the promised land. Okay. Their fathers had seen the pillar of fire and the cloud over the tabernacle. They were enlightened. They saw the light. God is light, right? They were enlightened. And then it says, and have tasted the heavenly gift. What is the heavenly gift? In the desert, it was the manna. God gave them food, angels' food. Okay? They tasted the heavenly gift. And then experienced the Holy Spirit poured on the 70 elders. They became partakers of the Holy Spirit. In verse 4. Okay. And witness the giving of the law at Sinai and the miracles of Moses. What does it say next in verse uh, 5? And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. The good word of God. In the desert, in Mount Sinai, the Lord gave them the law. His word. And so, and, and, and by the way, he did not give him only the Ten Commandments. He gave him the whole law. Everything that is written in the book of Exodus from chapter 20 on, and everything that is written in the book of Leviticus. Because a catastrophe happened in Numbers chapter 14. And after Numbers chapter 14, that when the, the, that generation died in the wilderness, the new generation were given the whole book of Deuteronomy. That's why it's called Deuteronomy. Second law. Moses is preparing the new generation. The children of those who rejected God's promises. Preparing them, equipping them to enter the promised land. And so we see here, in spite of all these blessings in the wilderness, the wilderness generation refused to press on. And you can read that in Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 10. Which is similar to what is described here in chapter 6, verse 6 of Hebrews. As a result, judgment fell on them. That is on their fathers. On their forefathers. Judgment fell and they could not enter into the promised land. Again, 
This was, what kind of a judgment was that? Spiritual judgment or physical judgment? What befell the generation that came out of Egypt? Was that spiritual judgment or was it physical judgment? Come on. How many say physical? Thank you. How many say spiritual? How many are not here? Okay, Ivan, John. Diplomats. Okay. The judgment, let me ask you this. Did Moses lose his salvation? Then what kind of a judgment was it? Physical. They all died physically. Did Moses go to heaven? What? Stone her. I can't understand. No habla espanol. And now, uh, Moses went to heaven. The Bible says the Lord buried him, his body. But then in the New Testament, we see him on the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah speaking with Jesus. And what were they talking about? They were talking about his crucifixion. So was Moses alive? Was Elijah alive? Elijah never died. God raptured him. Okay? But Moses did die. As a matter of fact, the book of Jude tells us that Michael the archangel disputed with Satan, Lucifer, over the body of Moses. Who knows what Lucifer intended to do with Moses' body? Okay, and he said, the Lord rebuke you. Why Michael? Michael is the prince, the protective angel of Israel. Anything that has to do with Israel, you'll see Michael. Okay? So, he protected the body of Moses from being used by Satan for some who knows what. And, but we know Moses was a man of God. The Bible calls him the friend of God. He spoke with God face to face like no, nobody else ever spoke. So the, the judgment on all that generation was a physical judgment. Because they did not believe God's promises. So what the writer of Hebrews is telling them there, here, is the same thing would happen to them. Okay? It was a physical judgment, not a spiritual judgment. Since people like Moses, Aaron, Miriam, and so many others were God's people and did not lose their salvation. These believers too, now, would incur physical judgment if they went back to Judaism. Which judgment came on the nation with the destruction of Jerusalem in the year 70 AD. History tells us that. The Romans marched, besieged Jerusalem for a number of years, and finally the city fell. Okay, and they slaughter a lot of people and scatter the rest to the four winds of the Roman Empire, eventually to all the other nations under heaven. Okay, now their failure to walk by faith is the falling away that 6-6 talks about. The falling away is that kind of failure to walk with the Lord, physical judgment. Okay, 
So now in verses 7 and 8, we see that the writer proceeds to illustrate what he has been saying in the first six verses of the chapter. In uh, verse 7, he uses two illustrations from nature. First, he illustrates blessing by using the example of rain falling from above. Over here, it was raining this morning when I came. It was raining cats and dogs when I got into my car and was coming here. And I thought it was going to be like that all day long because the uh, weather said rain all day. I'll tell you, this week they really had bad in a thousand with the weather forecast. Um, but when I got to Queens, the skies opened up and there was sun. So I came over the bridge into a sunny Bronx after I left cloudy, rainy Long Island. And uh, look at, you know, the sun's out, okay? Now we say, oh, rain, what, a, what an inconvenience. But if you lived in Israel, every time it rains there, they dance. It's a blessing. It's a blessing, okay? Because water is so scarce in the Middle East. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you saw it in YouTube, Saudi Arabia and Oman are being flooded. And I'm talking about the desert. Looks like a lake. And this is not the first time. This happened two, three times already this year. They're getting flooded. But when it rains in Israel, it's a blessing. The levels of the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea go up, and they want that. Okay? Galilee looks very... Uh, green and lush so it's considered a blessing the rain is like God's blessing and the earth is like all believers if it produces good fruit there are blessings some believers cultivate their spiritual relationship with the Lord and are fruitful to the glory of God you want to live a, a fulfilled happy life Cultivate your relationship with the Lord Jesus. Every day, read the Bible and pray. If you don't know who, to, who or what to pray for, I'll tell you. Pray for your family. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your church. Pray for your country. And pray for God to give you wisdom, knowledge, discernment. To give you love if you don't have it. To give you purity. To give you hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's so many things to pray for. Let us not limit our prayers only to pray for physical, material things. Oh Lord, help me to have a wonderful vacation. The Lord will give you that. Because God gives us all good things to enjoy. You should pray for one and not leave the other unprayed for. More important things you can pray is for those spiritual things which we all need so much. Okay? Some believers cultivate their spiritual relationship. And, and I'll tell you this, people who do not cultivate their relationship with the Lord and they remain immature, those are the people that are constantly having the same problems over and over and over and over and over again. 
and they're stuck like a car in the mud. They're stuck and they can't get out of there because they're always spinning their wheels in the same place. You want to go ahead, cultivate your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that goes for the adults and it goes for the children, the teenagers, and it goes for the men and the women. It's all for, for all of us the same. And I'm not telling you to do something I don't do every day. Uh, it's amazing. I was thinking this week. I know two women. One is single. The other one is married. And they both came to me this week. One here in church. And another one by uh, WhatsApp. And they're both studying Greek. Yesterday, one of them, the one on WhatsApp, just to me, pray for me because I have a test in Greek and it's not easy. Amen. But what about the men? Amen. Where art thou? You men need to start learning Greek. You have a Greek pastor. You're letting me go to my eternal abode. Once I'm gone, I can't do anything for you. And then when you get to heaven, the Lord's going to say, why didn't you use Alex and Berides to teach you my language? Am I forcing you to learn Greek? No. I'm simply saying, if you want to really know the Bible better, learn the biblical languages. That's why in my old age, I'm, I'm studying, trying to anyway, study Hebrew. I'm able to read already chapter 1 of Genesis, verses 1 and 2. In Hebrew. And I consulted with my Hebrew scholar, Nick Hall, in Wisconsin. I read it to him on FaceTime, and he said, wow, that's great. You heard, you heard the saying that says, where there's a will, there's a way? You know why we don't do the things that we're supposed to do? Simply one reason, we are lazy. Or we believe the lie of, I can't do it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So here, cultivating. Cultivating. Those who cultivate their relationship with the Lord are fruitful to the glory of God. And because they are, they receive blessings from him. Okay? Because of their useful lives. And these are those who go on to spiritual growth and maturity. And they are the ones who produce in their lives, manifest the fruit of the fruit of the Spirit. Open with me one second to Galatians. Chapter 5. Go to verse 22. When you cultivate your relationship with the Lord, <coughs> will produce these things. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? No, it's tongues. It's healings. 
It's miracles. Is it? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, somebody said the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's it. And out of love come all these other things. Because when you have love, you have joy. When you have love, you have peace. When you have love, you know how to put up with things. You're long-suffering. When you have love, you're kind. When you, you have love, you're, you have goodness. When you have love, you're faithful. You have faithfulness. When you have love, you're gentle. When you have love, you have self-control or temperance. Yes, I, I, I know I'm not preaching to a congregation that needs this. Especially in the area of self-control and temperance. Because I know nobody here loses their self-control. Nobody loses their temper. Everybody's always so calm and good and cool. Right? Hmm. Somebody said, don't lose your temper. It's too valuable. If you lost it, find it with you. are the fruit of the Spirit. Love. Which one of these don't you want? How many of you want love? How many of you want joy? If you like being miserable, there's something wrong with you. I'm not, I know I'm not always the happiest person in the world. What happens? Again, See, that's how you do it. Who doesn't want peace? What is this world looking for? And what is exactly what they don't have? They don't have it. They don't have it. Nor will they ever until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back because he is the prince of peace and they have turned their backs on him so no wonder we're in the mess we're in right and thank the Lord I ain't staying here when the Antichrist comes if I only knew what day the Antichrist yeah, oh I should say if I only knew what day the Lord's coming if I knew the Lord was coming tomorrow you know what I would do today I would go out use my credit card and fill it to the brim And then the Lord will rapture me the next day and I will leave the Antichrist with all my debts. Right? Long-suffering. Some people say, oh Lord, give me patience. Give me patience. Stop praying for patience. Because after which stop praying for patience, what do you get? Trials. Sufferings. Tribulation. I don't understand. I was praying for patience. That's why the Lord is giving you all those things. Because the Bible says, tribulation worketh patience. How do you think the Lord is going to give you patience? Huh? Automatically? Magically? No. He's going to make you go through tribulations and trials. Because that's what teaches you to be patient. And if you don't believe me, ask me. After 46 years in the ministry, I know. And then kindness. 
that's one thing I had to learn in my life, kindness. Because I was too abrasive, too critical. When you've been fighting all your life, first the devil outside the, the church and then the devil in the church for 46 years. But you know what? The Lord taught me how to be kinder. I haven't arrived yet, but I'm hopefully getting there. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's another one that I need a lot, especially in the area of eating. Ice cream and chocolate, that's my downfall. But I need to have self-control. And I rejoice in the fact that, well, up to a point, I've su I succeeded after this point. You know, I did not lose all the weight that I, I lost by uh, eating cake every day. But that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what we all need to demonstrate in our lives. But we will, we will do that only when we have a good relationship with the Lord. And then there are believers who are totally fruitless. And these are illustrated in verse 8 of chapter um, 6 of Hebrews. These are the ones that are... Produce the thorns. If, if the earth says bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to be, being cursed, whose end is to be burned. What good are thorns and briars? What good are they? What are they good for? Huh? What are thorns and briars good for? Huh? Thorns keep things away. But what good are thorns themselves? Are they good for anything? No. The Lord said that those things are not, not good for nothing except to be burned. People that do not produce fruit are good for nothing. That's the idea. Okay? When he said, I am the good vine and you are the branches, every branch that in me does not bear fruit is taken away. And is thrown into the fire and burned. And that's another portion of scripture that people try to use to, use the, to, to talk about loss of salvation. That's not talking about salvation there. <clears throat> it's talking about service. It's talking about fruitfulness. What he, the Lord is saying, a branch that, that is totally unfruitful is good for nothing. And believers who do not produce fruit are not, are not much good because the Lord cannot use them. Okay? And... Um, and therefore, because the thorns are briars, compared to thorns are briars, they do not receive blessings, but rather cursings. These live the life according to the flesh. And what is the life according to the flesh? Well, that's in Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. Okay? All the works of the flesh. Those, those are the ones who are dull of hearing. Instead of progressing, they are regressing. And these believers are, are, are useless for the Lord. The word here, rejected, in verse 8, that word rejected is the same word as the word disqualified in 1 Corinthians 9.27. When the, the Apostle Paul says, Lest when I have preached unto others, I myself have been disqualified. Adokimos in the Greek means unproven, good for nothing. 
useless. Okay? Those who wish to go back to the law are pla were placing themselves back under the curse of the law once again and were coming near to falling into judgment. That's the curse. Whose end, it says, is to be burned. <clears throat> the points to be, uh, uh, this points to the judgment seat of Christ where their works will be burned. Now at the judgment seat of Christ, the believer is not burned there, but his works are, if they are hay, wood, stubble. But if they are gold, silver, precious stones, they will stand the test of fire. In other words, the test of judgment. The judgment seat of Christ is for believers only, not for unbelievers. And those of us, all of us, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the things we have done in the flesh after we were saved, whether good or bad. It's not a, about losing your salvation or being condemned and nothing like that. That's the white throne judgment that happens a thousand years later. Okay, it's not the same thing. Now, this is not speaking about the loss of salvation, again I say, but about the loss of rewards. And, but, if, but if they go on to maturity, they will receive blessings and rewards. Now, it is easy to see, easy to see what a striking resemblance exists between these Jewish believers this writer is writing to and the recipients of this book and the Exodus generation, okay? They were judged in the wilderness. They lost the blessing of inheriting the promised land, but did not go back into slavery to Egypt, okay? So these believers would now go back to a lost state, but will miss out the spiritual blessings God has for them, and they will be judged physically. You know, that is true of all of us believers. When we walk with the Lord, after we're saved, we walk with the Lord. Sometimes God has to discipline us. Does he not? Why? It's always punishment? No. Discipline is not always punishment. Sometimes discipline comes to teach us lessons that we need to learn, that we cannot learn any other way. All right? So when you are disciplined, remember not to be bitter at God. Thank him for it. And ask, Lord, what are you trying to teach me here? Show me what you're trying to teach me here. Because I heard too many people say, oh, you know, if God, if there's a God in heaven, why am I going through this? Well, wait a minute. That's it's exactly because there is a God in heaven that you're going through this. Some people think they're entitled to all the blessings, no matter what they do. That's not how it works. Okay? Listen to this. God the Father allowed his son to go to the cross. Does that mean that he didn't love the son? Could he have saved him from going to the cross? Oh, yeah. The Lord himself said it. Peter, put away your sword. Don't you think that if I wanted to, I could call my father, he would send 12 legions of angels to rescue me? But how, if, if I do that, how will the scriptures be fulfilled? See, God, everything he does is for a purpose. And what he's trying to do with you is to make you a jewel for his crown. So rejoice.
We thank you for listening to this message and pray that the Word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www.cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.